So I'm panning the audience, needing a volunteer. <laughs> Joe, you're killing me, man. I need a student. I really do. I need a student who's not afraid of putting things in their mouth. Joe put his hand down. I knew you would. Serious? It, with the bow. I, I, can't, I can't see that far. Yeah, you, come here. Come here, all right. Who is that? I can't see. Avery, y'all get up for Avery. Come on up here, Avery. You are very brave because I hadn't even told you what you're doing yet. Come over here and sit on, stand on this end of the table. <clears throat> I have in my possession a plethora of baby food. I have bananas. Bananas wasn't that bad. I used to eat the kids' bananas. It's, what, y'all didn't eat baby food? Some squash and some green beans. When's the last time you had baby food that you remember? No idea. Well, I've got them in this bag, and here's the deal. I have a Texas Roadhouse gift card. You like Texas Roadhouse? I love Texas Roadhouse. Those rolls, that cinnamon butter. How many of you have already decided where you're going to lunch? If not, I just torture. All right, so here's the deal. Do you think, let me show you how big the, the container is. This is the container, all right? You think you could eat this in 10 seconds? Would you be willing to take a bite of it? Okay. Is that a deal? Hey, Mom, is that a deal? You, you get a Texas Roadhouse gift card out of this. <laughs> She's like, eat the food. All right. So, one, there's only one squash in here because Brian Aiken ate the other one. Reach in there and grab one out. What'd you get? Look at you getting those bananas. All right. So, we're going to time you for 10 seconds. Because you may open this thing and please don't throw up. Um, I tell you what, I won't time you, but we want to see you take at least one bite of that. She can't open it. It's childproof. I like opening a pill bottle sometimes. <laughs> no pressure. Don't lick your fingers. Coming, you know what I'm afraid it's going to do? It's going to go like. All right, so she's got it on. Bananas aren't that bad. If she picked those peas, well, how many of you parents remember eating like they had the canned meat? Our kids wouldn't eat it. I mean, they never would. All right, y'all ready? All right, y'all get her, Avery. She's going to take one bite in three, two, one. Take a bite. Is that? You, you survived. You didn't puke. <laughs> We're good. Can we just give her a hand for being a good sport? Don't run off, though. You can set it down. She's like, is he going to make me eat the rest of it? All right, so there's the gift card. But let me, you know, let me, let me talk some math with you for a minute. There is 100 calories in one of these. All right? So I don't know if you keep up with dietary things, but how many calories do you think you need in a day as a growing kid to grow into an adult? How about 3,000? It's not the Iron Man, I love you 3,000, but it's kind of like that. 
You need about, I mean, all of us in this room, your diet is about 3,000. Let me give you a perspective. If 3,000 calories, that's three Chick-fil-A meals. Would you rather have Chick-fil-A or those bananas? Wow. That gift card almost will reach 3,000. This is 3,000 calories. All right? So let me just ask you this. What would you rather do? Live a life eating this every day. This is it. This is what you'd eat. Or would you rather go eat something else? What is your favorite food? <laughs> chicken sandwich. All right, so you like chicken sandwich. She, all right, so you're saying, let me just put words in your mouth. You would rather eat chicken sandwiches than to eat a box of this every day. Yes. All right, y'all give it up for Avery. Thank you for being a sport. Mom, y'all can go eat that whenever you want to because that's the truth. 3,000 calories in this box of baby food. And I don't know about you, but I like food with my salt. Oh, come on, guys. Y'all know it. You don't, y'all, some of y'all go, you're like my dad. He'll go to, the, go to a restaurant. He screws the lid off the salt and pours it on there. Who in the right mind would want to eat, eat this every day? This box cost me $30 and some change. Do the math, that's about $210 a week for this. When you could have Texas Roadhouse rolls with cinnamon, honey, butter. What would you rather eat? All right, let me just do a show of hands and online you can raise and just let the other people in your house know. Who wants this? <laughs> Let's pray. Uh, Y'all can give him the bananas after a while. There it is, Joe, right on the corner. I'm messed up now. I can't go on. Ah, oh, Jesus, thank you so much that he gave us something besides baby food. Do you remember what formula smells like? It don't smell good. I don't see why babies even want to drink it. It stinks. So imagine if somebody told you that the only thing you could eat every day was baby milk, formula, and parade vegetables. No salt. No salt. No salt. A growing adult needs 3,000 calories a day. That's a workout. Now, let, let me just brag on Brian Aiken. He is the one who came up at our other service, and he downed the squash in eight seconds. So when y'all see Brian Aiken, he's a good sport. He was willing to do it because his wife said, yep, you need to pick him. <laughs> he did it. Why? Why, why, would you, why would you be content eating this when there's so many other things that will relieve your hunger? Some of you experience hanger. My son experienced hanger from time to time. Multiple hours of the day. We're in that phase of life. If you don't eat, you get upset. You get a little bit angry. You get a little bit irritable, right? If you are making a meal on baby food every day, I can guarantee you most of you would stay hangry. So why in the world is Christians 
are we content with eating baby food? Spiritually speaking, we need the nourishment of God's Word, but yet sometimes we, we, we settle for things that in no way, shape, or form can help us grow into a mature adult. Last year, Kevin DeYoung wrote an article called Five Reasons Why Believers Don't Grow. And he's quoting the Dutch theologian Wilhelmus Albrackel. I love saying that, it just rolls off the tongue. Who expressed in his work the Christian's reasonable service, reasons that believers don't grow. And he says this, number one, they presume upon grace. In other words, they don't really understand that grace existed, yes, to forgive your sin, but it wasn't to be used as a reason to continue in sin. Number two, they doubt their conversion. They're struggling with confidence so they don't grow. They are discouraged by their process, or their progress. They, they look at where they are and it's like, you know, I'm, I'm just not going anywhere. I'm kind of stuck. They conform to the world. In other words, they stop listening to what the Word said and they listen to the other voices that are demanding their time. And the last one and the most important one because it relates to this passage is they simply are lazy. And that's something we don't want to hear. We don't want somebody to call us lazy. I can guarantee you if you're a parent and you try to motivate your kids by saying, would you stop being lazy and go pick up your shoes? I just heard a kid chuckle. <laughs> I mean, you just, you've just been shamed. You've just been told you're down here. And most of the time when we label people, that's the level we come to. You are lazy. You lack initiative. Have you ever worked with people who are messy? And you walk in and you see something on the floor, a piece of trash or something, just... Just do this one day as a social experiment. You just watch how many people will walk by a piece of trash and not stop to pick it up. It's crazy. One of the reasons why Disney World is the way Disney World is is because every cast member is trained. You own everything. If you see a piece of trash from the president of the company to the cast member that's handing out food, you pick up the trash. Why? Because you take initiative. The opposite of laziness is initiative. And when we talk about maturing, when we talk about growing in our faith, we are hindered in our walk solely by laziness. Brackle goes on to say in his book, we indeed desire to be in an elevated spiritual frame and grow just like a palm tree. You know, a palm tree has a really deep root. But we are not willing to exert any effort and therefore we do not receive it. Then he calls out, therefore, Christians, let's get to the task. Let's get in the lane of maturing in our faith. To mature in our faith means that we grow to, be, to know and to be more like Jesus. Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things to work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Why? To be conformed into the image of his son. It's God's plan for your life, to be like Jesus. Number two, we are walking in our own sin, or walking away from our own sin. Romans 6, 1 and 2, he says, what shall we say then? And according to grace, are we to continue in sin so that we can get more grace? No. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? 
When you and I are called into faith by Christ, we are called out of sin. And to continue living and pursuing that sin, now I'm not talking about people who, maybe there's a person who, who has an addiction or something and they want to do better and they're doing things to do better, but they still keep slipping back every once in a while. I'm talking about somebody who's like, I know Jesus, but I'm going to keep doing this. That's not maturity. The third thing we see in, in regards to maturity is we're being sanctified. Don't you love big words? Sanctified. You are being set apart. When you do the dishes, you sort them, right? In fact, some of you, if you have a good piece of clothing or a good dishware, you don't wash it with everything else. Why? Because it's set apart. Jesus is setting you and me apart. Apart from what? Apart from this world. We're not of this world, ladies and gentlemen. We're of the world that is to come. We have a heavenly home. This is, this is just what we're passing through. Even though in this fallen world there's some really good stuff, this isn't our destination. We're growing to be more like Christ. We're leaving our sin and we're becoming more like Him because we're being set apart. He has a purpose for our life. According to 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. You want to do God's will? Participate in His sanctifying process. That's what maturity is. But listen, we can't do this without the Holy Spirit. i said this before and I'll say it again because I think people sometimes miss this. When you are saved, you will receive the Holy Spirit. It is the mark of the new covenant. And if I claim to know Christ and I see no evidence of the Holy Spirit sanctifying me, setting me apart, then maybe, just maybe, the Word of God has not had its full effect as we read in chapter 4 where it said that the Word and faith had not combined in a transforming effect. We need the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13, you were sealed by the Spirit of promise. Romans 8.11, that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you, giving life to your mortal body. That's what it means to spiritually grow. But what, what's cool about where we are in this passage is the writer is talking about Jesus learning obedience as a man. Last week when we finished to come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy in our greatest time of need, we talked about the three invitations to let us, let us, let us. Y'all remember that? I did eat that lettuce, by the way. It was good. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? I had heads of lettuce last week, and now I have baby food. You just never know. But he goes into chapter 5, and he begins to talk about the eternality of the priesthood of Christ. That his priesthood was not a derivative of the Levites. Under the Mosaic law, God had called the Levites, the tribe of Levi, to be set apart for the work of the tabernacle and then the temple. They were the ones making sacrifices and mediating for the people of Israel. Jesus was not a Levite. Jesus was of the tribe, see if anybody knows this, yell it out, tribe of Judah. He is the Lion of Judah. So how can he be a priest according to the Mosaic law? He can't because he supersedes the Mosaic law. Y'all catch that, right? 
In fact, he goes on down, and when we get to, to verse number 9 and 10 of chapter 5, he, he brings back up, excuse me, verse 6 is where it starts. He quotes Psalm 110.4, where he said in the psalm, Today I decree that you are a priest in the order of Melchizedek. How many of you know who Melchizedek is? Well, for those of you that, you know, try to read through the Bible every year, about the first week in Genesis, chapter 14, you see this scenario where Lot is living in Sodom, and there's a war going on between these kings, and Lot is taken with Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham catches wind, gathers up his men, and they go and defeat those, those kings, and he gets Lot back. But then there's this little bitty paragraph where it says Melchizedek shows up, the king of Salem. In fact, his, me, his name, Melchizedek, you'll find out in chapter 7, literally means the king of righteousness. The author is going to expound on that. The king of Salem, of shalom, of peace. He's the king of righteousness and of peace. Righteousness is a big deal to God. God has a righteous standard for you and for me. God wants us to live in righteousness. But guess what? Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Remember last week we talked about how the writer is inviting them to step out of these dead works, doing the works of the law to make themselves look righteous because they can't do it. It's impossible. You can't take something like us and make us look good because we are all sinners. We don't have the capacity or the ability to do enough righteous works to earn salvation. That's why when we become a Christian, we're not doing works to earn anything we're doing works to glorify God and obey him there's a difference in doing something out of obedience because God said so and earning a wage y'all agree with that and that is the case and so the writer of Hebrews is is going down through here and he's explaining this idea in fact let me just let me just if it's okay with you I'm just going to kind of read and give you a point. A little bit different than what I normally do. Is that okay with you guys? So go ahead and just flip your study guide open. There's nine sub points. You're going to like, God, oh, there's nine points. We're going to be here to one o'clock. No, there's nine sub points, two main points. What he's about to argue is this. You are immature, and you need to mature. That's basically it, because the bottom line, the very last thing you should see on that study guide says take responsibility for your growth let me get political for a moment one of the things that irritates me about every president we've ever had and unfortunately about every president has done this some worse than others is they spend more time blaming their predecessor for problems than solving problems a leader takes responsibility for things that he may or may not have done because he's the one in the job right it's the same thing at home. If you come in and the dishes are all clouded up in the, in the sink and you say, hey, kids, I need you to, to wash the dishes. Well, that's not my dish. I don't care. I need you to wash the dish because it's your responsibility. And guess what? For you and for me, the indwelling spirit in our life, there's this invitation for us to partner with that spirit and begin to grow in our faith. 
And to reject that responsibility means that you will atrophy. When I was, eight years ago, when I blew a disc in my neck and it pinched the nerve between six and seven, my tricep fizzled like a balloon. It just went flat. It atrophied. It's what happens when you pinch a nerve. I couldn't do a push-up. You know how embarrassing that is? A 30, a 40, I was 40, exactly 40. 40 40-year-old man, and I couldn't do a push-up to get up out of the floor because of that pinched nerve. Folks, that's what's happening to us when we settle with being dull to the Word. We atrophy. And if you think you can stand in a world that is attacking you from every side with everything that it can throw at you, you think you can stand in that and be atrophied, you are wrong. You will not stand. You will fall. So picking up in verse number ten or number 9, he says this, And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And he, he's reading that, and it's almost like he really wants to go a little bit deeper and explain to you, the reader, this is why Jesus supersedes everything. Because this Melchizedek actually ministered to Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Y'all, know, y'all don't know that song? I am one of them, and so are you. Anyway, That Father Abraham, Melchizedek ministered to him. He blessed him. Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe before there was tithe even being instituted. And so here's all these ideas bubbling around in the author, and he, and he stops at verse 11 and says this. Would y'all stand with me? Because y'all got to get up and move. Maybe I need to take my jacket off. Concerning him, this idea of Christ in the lineage of Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become lazy of hearing, dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need for someone to teach you again the elementary principles, the ABCs of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk, baby food, and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. For solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Trained, repetition, working it out. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, that's our confession, of instruction about washing and laying on of hands, that's our practice, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, that's our prophecy. And this we will do, this is the scariest thing I have read, if God permits. Oh, no, 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 I'm going to read that again. And this we will do, what? Do what? Press on to maturity, if God permits. And then probably one of the toughest passages in Scripture For in the case of those who have been once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit 
and have tasted the good word. There is rhema, not logos, but rhema, similar. And the powers of the age to come. Now here, check this out. And then to have fallen away, it is impossible. Say impossible. To renew them again to repentance, since they again crucified themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Father, in the next few minutes as we dig into this, Lord, you know in my heart that, God, I want, I want them to hear your word. I want them to hear it in your context. I don't want them to hear, them, hear preconceived notions or biases. What I want them to hear is a God who loves us, but that is all-powerful. That the breath we're even breathing right now, God, came because you allowed it. And so, Lord, let us approach this passage today with fear and trembling. And that when we leave here, we'll be motivated to take the responsibility that is ours to press toward you in maturity. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I talk about immature believers, I am not talking about middle school boys. Some of you are like, I haven't been around middle school boys in a while. Peter made a similar comment in regard to babies and infants in our growth. In 1 Peter 2.2 when he said, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that you may grow by it in respect to salvation. If you noticed, the writer never talked about justification. He didn't talk about forgiveness of sin. Again, he is addressing a group of people that he believes are believers. That they have professed Jesus Christ as Savior. But what have the warnings done up to this point? The first warning in Hebrews 2 talked about pay attention to the Word. Right? Pay attention to the Word. Listen. Then when we got to Hebrews 3.12, he said, watch out. Believe. The, 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 if the issue here was as Israel disbelieved God and was unfaithful to him, they did so because they weren't listening to his message. And that ultimate message came in whom? Christ. Also notice that he never says the word Jesus in this passage. It's ironic, isn't it? Because he is trying to move them away from this temptation that they have to go back to Judaism. They want to go back to temple sacrifice. In fact, again, that's another reason why we believe this was written before 70 A.D. Because he could have just as easily said, hey, listen, you can't go make sacrifices anymore. It's not there. They want to go back to doing the feasts, doing the sacrifices, going to the temple. They, they, they want to do those things. And in some regard, some of those traditions were not inherently wrong. But they want to do it because of the pressure that's on them, because they have identified with the Christ, the Son of God. The Jewish community, remember, just put him to death. Y'all remember that, right? They crucified him. They beat him. He drug his cross to Golgotha, and they put nails in his hands and his feet. Those Jews despised him, just like the Jews in the wandering despised that promise. They felt let down. And he's trying to appeal them, look, 
you have settled for baby food. And you're not eating the pure milk. You've not, you've not matured from that where now you can take this solid food. So he's going to talk about their maturity. He's going to talk about this need to grow in faith to the point where they'd be able to teach someone else. And he invites them, another hortatory subjunctive, let us press on to maturity. That's the invitation for all of us in this room today. Maturity. To analyze and examine ourselves to see where we are in our growth. And then he talks about this idea of falling away. And I'll address that. In fact, some of you wrote me some questions asking about it. And I'm, I'm like, man, I'm glad those questions made you think. You're going, wait, what questions? On the Church Center app, let me remind you again, each week we're posting questions that you can read through getting ready for next week. So this week you're going to read Hebrews 7 and 8 and answer questions that leads us up to next week's message. The Church Center app is in the App Store. You can go online too. If you have any problems, find it, call us. Once you get on the app, you go, you got a little spinning ball that goes around, and it comes up to this, it, I know you can't see it from there, but at the very top it says, the dog days of summer. Click here for questions. And next week's questions posted this morning at 9 o'clock. So take a moment and, and read that passage, because you need to dig through, because he's going to return to this subject, who is Melchizedek? But first, in chapter 6, he's got to call them to maturity. So following along in our study guide, I want to pick up in verse number 11. And this is the first one. We fail to mature when we dull our ears to listening intently. He said in that verse, he said, Concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. The word become is in the perfect tense. That means that they have done it and they are sitting in it. It has this ongoing effect on them that they have chosen to be lazy in their listening. Remember this lady that I lived next door to. She had this dog. You know, I know, most of y'all know by now, I am not a pet person. And I found this ironic because she'd be sitting in front of this dog going, now listen, you can't go in the road. The road is dangerous. It's going to hurt you. And she'd be explaining to this dog why they didn't need to go on the road. And the dog's sitting there going. <laughs> you know why the dog didn't speak back? Because dogs don't talk. That's why. And they don't understand words. Because as soon as she walked away, the dog was right back in the road again. Dulled our ears to hearing what God is calling us to do. What God, is, God has invited us to do, which is to mature in his word. When we look at ourselves and we want something to change, I can tell you, you can come up with the most elaborate plan on the face of the planet, but if you don't have initiation, you'll never do anything about it. You have to decide, if I'm going to mature, I have to stop being lazy. I have to stop being distracted. I have to prioritize certain things in my life because I can tell you God's not going to give you another hour in your day. All of us in this room right now, we're aging at the same rate. Some of our hourglasses are a little bit emptier than others. What I do with every moment of my time matters. And I can choose to be lazy and do nothing 
or I can choose, as he's inviting us to do today in maturity, to listen, to make listening a priority. It's one thing to pick up a sound. It's another thing to discern that sound and do something with it, to act upon it. An immature infant doesn't know very many words, or at least they can't say them. But as they start picking up on words, right, you're able, when, when they're babies, you know, you know they cry. Well, you start going after the list. Are they hungry? Are they tired? Or do they need to be changed? Are they sick? I mean, because you don't know, because you, you, could, you could, I mean, we could, we could take Amelia. Amelia stepped out for a minute. We could take Amelia, the baby, and go, now what are you feeling right now? You know what she's going to do? Sometimes we get so distracted with the voices in our life, that's what, the, that's what God sounds like to us. Remember the Peanuts cartoon when they'd be in class? I think, I think that, the, that the reason that they made the teacher sound is because that's, that's kind of what they wanted to portray, that they didn't listen to the teacher. Are you dull of hearing? The second thing is, if you're dull of hearing, you miss the fundamentals. When you look back in verse number 12, it says, by this time you ought to be teachers. That's inclusive. A lot of you in here say, you know, I can't. I can't teach anybody else. Yes, you can. You can teach other people. You just got to. If, if you today say, you know what, I, I just feel inadequate with this, you've got enough tools in this room to match that inadequacy. If you say, you know, I really don't know how to pray well, well what, are you st- what are you comparing that to? Somebody like me who has a big mouth that gets paid to speak? That's not a comparison. Can you have a conversation with somebody? Can you go up to an attendant at Walmart and say, I have these five things on a list. Can you help show me where they are? If you can do that, you can pray. But there's no reason for any of us today to continue going back to the basics. The education system is set up in such a way that you learn the ABCs and you learn numbers. Because everything in education, I believe, builds on two things, mathematics and English. If you learn English and you learn how to read, you can get information that bleeds into history, into politics, science, and then science bleeds over into the realm of mathematics where you're doing computations to solve problems, math and English. If you don't learn your ABCs, you cannot read. If you don't learn, let me, let me throw this one at you. Some of you may remember that. Do you remember in Algebra 2 doing rational algebra? You're like going, what? Rational algebra, it's where you have variables in fraction form, and you got to do something with it. Well, let me tell you, you can't do that if you can't add one-half plus one-third because you've got to find a common denominator. Y'all are looking at me like, oh, my gosh. That's probably why some of you failed algebra too. Because fractions is a basic thing. And he's saying, guys, you keep going back to the basic things. The Judaic system pointed to Jesus. And you're going back to that. When you need to be nourishing yourself on this strong stuff. In fact, if you can pray, if you know and you can tell somebody, 
why you've been saved, chances are you then understand the gospel. And there's no reason why you can't share that gospel with somebody else. In 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul wrote this. You've heard these things in the presence of witnesses then. Entrust those things to faithful men and women who will also teach others. So I'm going to challenge you right now with something I hope will rattle you. You are, if you're saved, being invited to be a disciple. And I can't make a disciple of you without your permission. I'm telling you right now, you have my permission to make a disciple out of me because we don't stop growing. But if you're content with saying, you know what, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven... I don't need all that other stuff. I don't need to be in church. I don't need to be reading my Bible. God loves me, doesn't he? He'll forgive me for whatever I do. Folks, that's apostasy. That's dangerous. To take the very grace of God that he's applied to your life, the very blood that he's shed to take your sin away, and you throw it on the ground and stomp it because you want to just keep living the way that you want to live. I have, a, I have a good feeling that the Word of God in your faith hasn't had a meeting yet. And you need to. Because if you do, and when you do, based on the, based on the, the whole premise of the new covenant, you should be growing, and I should be growing. The third thing there, the reason why we don't mature, is we're, we're content with soft teaching. Look again, he said, For thou this time you ought to be teachers, you still need milk. I'm telling you, I'm not going home today and chugging a big big glass of formula I'm not because it tastes nasty I mean Joe's going to go home and make a meal out of these bananas after a while and probably enjoy every minute of it right buddy he's smiling I mean that may be yes <laughs> don't put any taco sauce in that in those bananas no. <laughs> they're like no we're not doing that to him but why is it why would we want to go and just gum on a bunch of stuff you know, when you go get a good steak, a good steak has to have fat in it. But for whatever reason, when I bite into a piece of gristle, it makes me like, ugh. So I trim my steak very well. But if you didn't have fat in that steak, it wouldn't taste as good as it does. But you know, sometimes you get a good steak and you're just chewing. You're like, okay, any time now I won't be able to swallow this. This, this writer is saying, look, you've gotten too accustomed to just soft food and that's lazy. You need to be chewing on something more. You need to be ingesting something that stretches you. If you've ever been on a work in a workout program, you're either trying to get stronger, you're trying to get faster, or you're trying to build endurance. And the only way to do that is to stretch yourself, to lift more, to go further, to do more rep repetitions. That's the only way you can do it. Years ago, I set a goal that I wanted to read longer. So I'd be reading and I'd get about 20 minutes into it, and I'm starting to get a little sleepy, or I'm starting to get distracted. And at that moment, I would then set a timer on my watch for 10 more minutes. And I'd read 10 more minutes. What did I gain? I gained 10 more minutes. Yeah, so there was a time I'd look at this, oh, God, five more minutes. But you know what? It stretched me as a reader. When we are content with soft teaching, nothing stretches us. And folks, I'm just going to say it. Some of us are listening to stuff we should not be listening to. Just because it's on the Christian rack at Walmart doesn't mean that it's not heresy. 
Folks, it's, it's heretical. The things that we're on, on Facebook and Facebook Reels and Instagram Reels, they may talk a good talk and sound Christian, but if you haven't verified their theology, stop listening to them. Paul goes on in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy to say, there's coming a time when people will set up teaching to tickle their ears. This kind of passage right here, it, it, it's, it's hard. I told the deacons and, and Fred this morning, I'm like, I'm not really looking forward to preaching this passage because it's hard. But this is a passage that stretches us, that challenges us to examine ourselves and say, am I growing in my faith? Are you different in your faith walk with Christ than you were last summer? Are you different in your faith walk than you were three years ago before COVID hit? If you remember the moment that you claimed to accept Jesus Christ, have you grown from that point? Are you more like him? Are you listening to his word? Are you obeying him? And do you see him sanctifying you? If not, you got some business to do. Because the fourth thing up here says we refuse to train the senses to righteousness. We live in a culture that is numb to what is right and wrong. In fact, we live in a culture that says that what is right is wrong. For you to have morality is wrong. That's what our culture is teaching. Do you want to listen to the culture? Or do you want to listen to the Word of God? Train your senses. In other words, you've got to exercise your capacity of discernment to know the difference between right and wrong. And here's my theory. You know why I believe this is a hang-up for us today? Because in our culture today, the number one thing that determines truth in our life is emotion. Not revelation, not even logic, not history, not tradition, emotion. If it makes me feel a certain way, it must be right. And if it doesn't make me feel a certain way, it must be wrong. And I'm measured by my faithfulness on how well I... <laughs> react emotionally. If I can get on a, on a stream and scream at the top of my lungs at somebody I disagree with, that makes me more right. Can't even have a, a civil, logical conversation. Why? Because it's emotionally driven. Can I encourage you guys today, put emotion to the back seat and start listening to the revelation of God first, logically second, and put, put emotion third. Maybe you could ask yourself this question. When, you're in, when you interact with something in the news or in, in a relationship, before you make a choice, ask yourself, am I about to react emotionally? It'll save you some grief. So let me pivot now to 6-1. And let's look at, well, what does it mean when we mature? Well, when we mature, we commit to moving forward. Again, this is another one of those Hortatory subjunctives, where he says, let us press on to maturity. He just defined what it looked like to not be mature. We're not listening. We're being dull to the word. Those are the things he said. Now, let's, let's go, let's move forward from that. Let's reject soft teaching. Let's train our senses to righteousness. Why? Because Jesus is righteous. So he says about the Christ. Why would he use that language? Here's my Here's my theory. He's using this language because he's talking to them like they're Jews. 
They're going back to Judaic practices. So now he's talking to them in Jewish terms. They believed in the, the Messiah, the Christ was going to come. And so he's saying, look, we're moving on from that. Why? Because Christ has come. He has come and now we're going to move forward. Listen, think about this. When Jesus called Peter, Andrew, James, and John, he spoke, they listened, they acted on it, and they followed. For you and me today, we've heard the word of God. You are a sinner. You can't save yourself. You can't do enough good stuff to take your sin away. But Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood to take your sin away, and was raised to prove that he had beat sin and death. And by believing him and accepting that gospel, you can be saved from your sin. You know, this is, this is kind of tangential, but, but I just think it needs to be said. Caleb Jones asked us a very hard question this week. Why do we exist? Now, we're just talking leadership stuff. And I want to give him credit for this statement. He asked each one of us, you know, just kind of going around in a circle, why do, why, why do you get up in the morning? As Ebenezer, why are we here? Why are we in Tekoa? Because there's lost people going to hell. That's why we are here. And if we can't embrace that notion, if we can't see that as our ultimate goal, then maturity doesn't matter. We're here because God has called us out, raised us up. That's, the, that's what church is, called out ones. That is what he has called us to do. And he's inviting us today to commit to moving forward. And just like the disciples, he said, come on, let's go. We need to go. We need to be moving. Why? Because otherwise we're like stagnant water. We're stinky and full of bacteria. We have to move. And in moving, we must do the second thing. We must turn away from dead works. We have got to break this thing in our mind that makes us think that if we do all these good things, that I'm somehow covering up my sin, that I'm making myself look better. When you die to that, you will find a freedom in Christ that you've never known. Because our ultimate, ultimate purpose is to glorify God. Right? Glorify the God in heaven. And do, by doing that, we turn away from dead works. Look again in the passage. He says, um, a foundation, not to lay again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. That's, that sounds a whole lot like salvation, right? My conversion. I'm turning away repenting and going in a new direction and then he says of instructions about washing and laying on of hands he's talking about these 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 things of purification they did as Jews well Jesus has purified he's washed us of the laying on of hands now I'm not we're not going to go really far into this but in the book of Acts in in many occasions for specifically in Acts 19 when Paul showed up in Ephesus they had repented under John the Baptist but they hadn't accepted Jesus. So he preaches Jesus. They confess Jesus. They're baptized. But then it says, and he laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul tells Timothy to stir up that gift which he received when he laid hands on him. Now I don't know what your feelings are about laying on hands and not laying on of hands, but in the early church it was evident that as the church, birth, uh, church growth began to move, that that was something that was a part of it. He's saying it's time to move on from that. 
What do both of those things point to? Maturity. I'm identifying with Christ and his redemptive work, and I need to move forward. And then he talks about resurrection, <clears throat> excuse me, resurrection and eternal judgment. Those are the things that we're driving for, that we believe there's a day coming when Jesus is going to raise the dead, and he's going to judge the world. And that should scare us. That should convict us. As one of our deacons said today, you know, we were talking about things from inside the church, and he made the comment, you know what, right now, outside the church, there's a plethora of individuals who do not know Christ, who have walked away from him, that refuse to believe, who are lost, and their destination is hell. Does that bother you? Now, I don't want it to be one of those sick things where you become so obsessed with hell that you want people to go to hell. I know people like that, and it's a sick place to be. I'm talking about that when you're standing in line and you're behind that person, do you just have the thought for a moment, does this person know Jesus and where are they going? Do you have five seconds to stop and say, where's this person going? Moving on from this foundation, and that's what he's inviting them to do. You are drifting away. You're not looking out at your faith. And if you don't pay attention, you're going to atrophy. And in atrophying, you're going to fall away. You know, for me, it points to number three. I should want to desire to know more. I need to work beyond that foundational stuff. Charles, uh, Charles, Chuck, Chuck Swindoll put these, these six words into three categories. Conversion, practices, and prophecy. Those are the things that were the baseline. And now, he's inviting us to move beyond these things and move toward maturity but then verse 3 wrecks me and this we will do if God permits we need to yield to the sovereignty of God because here's the truth folks God's will will get done with or without your or my permission God holds this world in his hand. He has allowed every breath that you take. And yet we live life as if we're in control. Every one of us in this room, we're walking this path. And if we're following Christ, I'm, I'm just here to warn you, you're only one step to stepping off the path. You may think, well, no, I've got everything together. We, I'm warning you, you're only one step from veering off the path. And for some of you, you veered off the path and you're in the thicket. You're like, where in the world am I? But can I give you some hope? Because this is a heavy message. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. He's warning us, stop being lazy, stop being dull, press toward maturity and this fifth one, embrace the initial experience of faith. Now, I'm going to try my best. Because verse 6 is hard. Did I tell you that verse 6 was hard? It's hard. Listen to what he says. He said, for in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, partakers of the Holy Spirit, tasted the good word or the rhema of God, same, same difference, and the powers of this age to come, that's four participles, and they are in the aorist tense. In other words, it's something that happened in time. And those are pretty big things, right? To taste of heavenly things, to taste the word of God, 
to be a partaker of the Holy Spirit. And he's not necessarily talking about indwelt, did he? He said partaker and then to be enlightened, all four of those things. And to fall away. There's no difference in those participles as far as the way this author is using them. In fact, the word impossible is at the beginning of verse 4. And it literally means without ability. Dunamis is the word for power or ability. This is adunamis. Without ability. He names these five things and this passage has, has rattled theologians for a long time. Because they're asking the question, is he talking about somebody saved or unsaved? Is he talking about somebody that could potentially become unsaved? Well, what is he talking about here when he says that they have fallen away and it being impossible to renew them again to repentance? Well, let me give you, let me give you quickly a few of those views. One view is that somebody can lose their salvation. They can go through these four things and then lose their salvation. Here's the problem. This passage is basically saying you can't get it back. Because it's impossible to renew them again to repentance if you take that view. I don't take that view. I don't believe this is a losing your salvation passage. A third is that these people had the appearance of salvation, but they weren't really saved. They had tasted, they tasted, they were enlightened, they were partakers, but they really weren't saved. That's a comfortable position. Because there's another one that's hypothetical. In other words... The author's just saying this, but it's really impossible to even take this case because you couldn't do these four things and this other one happened. And there's a fifth one where it talks about the idea that what this is really referring to is the fruits produced. And that kind of fits with the passage, but I don't believe that's it either. Here's what I think. What is the danger expressed in this passage? That these readers who are Hebrew Christians are going to fall back into Judaism. And this position right here to have done these four things and to fall away is the lowest position you could possibly ever be in. Because to get in this position, to have fallen away, would be, as it says in the present tense, to crucify Jesus again and put him to an open shame. Thereby, they are becoming the very people who stood there in the crowd saying, crucify him. In other words, he's not the Christ, he's a blasphemer. That's a low place to be. And I don't care which way you, you, you kind of manipulate this, whether you say it's somebody who wasn't saved or whether it's somebody that potentially has just fallen away uh, and backslidden. It scares me. Does it scare you? This we will do. The context is maturity. This we will do if God permits. And you and I take advantage of the idea that I can just like right now go you know what Lord I'm so sorry I screwed up again what if it's that God doesn't grant you repentance Simon the sorcerer after he was trying to make money and have that same gift that he wanted to lay hands on people and do all the things the apostles were doing they looked at him and said you know what we're going to pray for you that God might forgive you I believe the Bible is clear that when we come to the Lord and we present our heart in repentance, He will receive that repentance. But when I'm rejecting His Christ and His Holy Spirit, Jesus called that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. 
So you and I need to embrace the initial experience of faith that we had. We need to embrace that. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. Think about Judas for a moment. Was he enlightened? Did he taste of the heavenly gift? Was he a partaker of the Holy Spirit? Because I didn't read anywhere where it said he didn't go out and do the same healings the other disciples did. He knew the word. But he fell away. Why? If you go on and read the rest of this chapter, he talks about the rain coming on the ground and producing crops to the one who toiled it and tilled it and receives a blessing from God. He said, but for the others, it brings up thorns and thistles. When you and I are maturing, we're going to produce fruit. Remember the parable Jesus told of the sower? Some fell on the road, some fell on the rock, the seed, some fell into thorns. All of that didn't come up. What seed came up? The seed that was planted in good soil. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you stand. But you know, I'm hungry. I'm, I'm actually, I actually am hungry. This is not appealing to me. And just to speak southern, gosh darn it, it shouldn't be appealing to you either. You ought to want the deeper things, the Word of God that will transform you from the inside out and giving you the power that you need for holy living. You want to see a revival sweep through our church in this community? Crave the Word of God and get on your knees. Humble yourself under that mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. But I have to make a commitment right now to make it my responsibility to grow in my faith. No one else can do it for you. No one else can make you do it. It has to be your heart decision. I will choose to follow Jesus. So we're going to be up here at the front. I don't know where you, maybe you're stuck. Maybe you're just like, you know what, I, I haven't grown. Well, come let us pray for you. I don't have any kind of magical dust to make you leave out here going, oh, wow, man, I'm going to be a better Christian today. There's only one kind of Christian, ladies and gentlemen. You either is or you isn't. There's no one in this room that's the best Christian, and there's nobody in this room that's the worst Christian. When I graduated with my degree, when I graduated with my doctorate, there were other men that walked up there, and I guarantee you one of us had the highest grade. Somebody had the lowest grade. But you know what they called the person with the lowest grade? A doctor. The only reason you're a Christian is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You either is or you isn't. And if you need to settle that today, don't leave this room without coming to one of us. Crosby will be down here too. Come and talk to us. Come to the Connection Center after church. Let us, let us talk with you. So go ahead and stand with me. I appreciate you letting me go a little longer because this was a hard passage. And y'all gave me grace just letting me be able to get it all out. I know it felt like a fire hydrant, right? But you know what? Let it sink deep. Because if I motivated at least one of you today to embrace your maturity, that's a win for the kingdom. And I can't wait to hear what God's going to do in your life. As we sing, altar's open for you.